hello everybody and welcome to the first ever episode of Rapping with Reef Bum, a live talk show on YouTube. I am your host, Keith Berkelhammer, and during each show, I will interview guests from the reef keeping community. Today, I welcome Randy Donowitz, a reef keeping buddy of mine I have known for many years. Randy is one of the organizers of the Manhattan Reefs Frag Swaps held in New York City in that area. And he also generates uh, content online primarily for Reefs Magazine under the Reefs.com banner. Additionally, Randy is the main caretaker of a number of reef tanks at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York. Randy, welcome to the show. Hey, Keith. How are you doing? Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going we're gonna to talk about, um, you know, the whole situation in terms of what you're dealing with with, with uh, COVID-19. You're... Uh, really in the middle of one of the biggest hotspots in the world right now with the coronavirus going on. So we're going to... Sadly... Go ahead. I said that sadly that's true. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm here in Brooklyn, New York. So it uh, doesn't get much, much more of a hotspot than this. Right. So we're going uh, to talk about that. But I kind of want to start with a few questions in terms of... Um, your background in, in the hobby, how you got into it, and then talk about what you're currently doing for Manhattan Reefs and, and Reefs, um, you know, .com. So, you know, <clears throat> let's, let's start, Randy, with how you got into the hobby. How did, how did you get into this crazy reef-keeping hobby of ours? Uh, it's a somewhat interesting story. I mean, it's kind of typical in some ways and very not typical in others. Um, you know, I always had fish tanks as a kid. It was just, you know, the 10 gallon freshwater tank as a, you know, third grader or whatnot. And I always kept little tanks, um, when I was younger, um, when I graduated from college, um, and I moved back to New York, actually, um, I decided I wanted to set up a couple of tanks in my apartment. And um, I can't even remember exactly how, but I started uh, getting involved um, with keeping Tanganyikan cichlids, African cichlids. And I think for a lot of uh, saltwater hobbyists and reef keepers, African cichlids are sort of the gateway drug. Um, um, so I, uh, for a number of years, probably seven or eight years, I, I was very heavily keeping and breeding Tanganyikan cichlids in my one-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. I had about 15 tanks, and I was uh, doing all kinds of stuff. My cousin was into it. And, uh, so that's kind of when I got heavily involved as a hobbyist in, in the aquarium hobby. Um, I'd never kept marine fish or a saltwater tank at all. Um, one always wanted to, but it was always hard. This it was difficult, it was expensive, all the things you hear and you still hear actually. Um, one day I was um, at a local market and there was actually a sign pinned to the bulletin board there. This was back in the days where that's how people communicated. You literally pinned a piece of paper up on board with uh, selling something or, or asking for something. And there was a guy who was offering to give away a saltwater system with anemones, all the filtration, everything, uh, just needed it out. He was moving. And it turns out the guy lived literally right around the corner from my house. So I felt if ever there was an opportunity to try it, this was the opportunity because at least it may still be difficult, but it wouldn't be expensive. So um, I contacted the guy and we set it up and that was my first saltwater tank. This was probably 1994, I believe. Um, 
right around that time, I, um, or shortly after that, I, I took a position, uh, which is still my current position, at uh, Pratt Institute, which is an art and design college in Brooklyn. Um, and unbeknownst to me, um, two faculty members who were at uh, Pratt at that time happened to be actual seminal figures in the marine aquarium hobby. Uh, Terry Siegel, who many of you might know, he is the uh, probably most of you probably know him as the founder of Advanced Aquarist magazine. Uh, before that, it was Aquarium Frontiers, and even way before that, Marine Aquarist magazine was one of the first saltwater magazines in the country. Actually, it goes way back to the late '70s, early '80s, I believe. Anyway, he was a professor here at Pratt, and I just coincidentally started working here and met him and his running buddy Doug Robbins. And I literally went from knowing very little and knowing no one in the marine hobby to kind of knowing everyone within a couple of months um, because Terry knew literally everybody. Um, so I had a very, very, very steep learning curve. I had access to all the latest information um, almost instantaneously. And that sort of uh, put me on a path to writing for the magazines and um, sort of uh, becoming to use the word, an advanced aquarist, uh, really very rapidly uh, compared to the learning curve of most people. And so, how how did you also get involved with the reefs.com? Did that is that an offshoot of the uh, of the magazine? Uh, well, Manhattan Reefs came first. Manhattan Reefs, for those who don't know, is kind of the online uh, New York tri-state area local hobbyist community. Um, it's kind of hard to have traditional clubs in New York City. It's hard to get people to turn out. It's hard to hold meetings and whatnot. So I didn't found Manhattan Reefs, but uh, Josh Saul and the other few members who did figured um, this goes back to the early 2000s, 2002 maybe, I think it was founded. Um, and there was uh, a desire to, to create an online community where people could meet and discuss and um interact with each other, but not necessarily have to all congregate in a, in a location on Friday nights at 9 p.m. like most clubs do or whatever, that kind of thing. So that was the original conception. I came to that community a few years later, 2004, I think. Um, so I had met a local hobbyist at a shop who told me about it, and I was kind of not so attuned to what was going on online. It all seemed very strange to me at the time. Um, and I, uh, I kind of joined and started meeting, you know, making friends and meeting people and they started doing these uh small little frag swaps really tiny ones at the time you know 20 30 40 person frag swaps where they could find a place to hold them and um during that time i had started uh, bringing aquariums into my place of work on the campus in, in my office on those don't know i'm the director of the campus writing center there has nothing to do with aquariums, but I was able to bring aquariums into the office. Um, and because it's a big open space, I was able to um, convince people at Pratt to let me uh, hold a small frag swap actually in the writing center at Pratt. And that's the first writings, the first frag swap that we actually held at Pratt Institute um, was actually in my office. Um, and I think we'll probably talk more about it later, but that has grown uh, quite a bit since then. Yeah. So Randy, we have a question from Tristan's Reef. He is asking, do you feel that some editorial organizations are afraid to write about certain topics, cost of products, competition, naming corals, wholesalers selling to 
customers undercutting LFS and shops? Yes, absolutely. Publications are very skittish about writing about um, many of those things for various reasons. Um, there's liability issues, which you wouldn't think maybe in, as a you know a small publication in the aquarium hobby. Um, people have been sued. We haven't been, but people have been sued for things. Uh, people think uh, you know anything you say negative about somebody is all of a sudden an, an offense. Um, so um, I think a lot of publications do think long and hard about um, what they publish and how they contextualize what they publish. Um, in terms of product reviews, I'd like to think at least we at uh, Roofs.com try to be fair and honest and um, don't only say positive things about things if there are other things to be said. Uh, by the same token, I don't think we go out of our way to trash anybody either. If there's something we're really unhappy with, we would probably just not run the piece. I think it's probably what we would do. Fair enough. So, Randy, let's uh, let's talk about the tanks at, at Pratt Reef. and. I shot some video the last time I was there, which was the fall Manhattan frag swaps. I think it was in November of 2019, right? And um, mm -hmm. yep. so, yeah, go ahead and, and talk about each of the tanks, and I could show some, um, some video while you're talking. Okay. Um, yeah, so over the years, I've been, as I said, I was able to start to bring aquariums into my space. It's an art and design college. Um, students uh, obviously have uh, a pretty attuned aesthetic sense. And aquariums seemed like a sort of natural fit. And we also had this legacy, as I talked about, with uh, Terry Siegel and Doug Robbins there. So I figured, let me try bringing in a few aquariums and see how uh, it went. And um, students loved it. Um, I'm showing the uh, Pratt Reef right now. Okay, so that's the main reef tank, 240-gallon um, tank, 8x2x2, um, two two, I believe, is the dimensions. Um, and that is what we call Pratt Reef. It's, it's sort of known that way. It's a predominantly SPS tank, uh, though it's mixed reef. There's a bunch of other stuff in it, a lot of fish, too. Um, that tank was set up originally in 2006, I believe. Uh, 2005, maybe? That one's an interesting one um, in that there was a slightly smaller tank there for a few years. It was an acrylic tank, and um, it had gotten very, very scratched up. I had a lot of students that helped me with the tanks, uh, work-study students, so not everybody's as meticulous as you might be with your home aquarium, which is fine for the purposes that I, that I have the tank there for. But the tank was getting kind of scratched up and pretty crappy-looking. And um, a couple of the core members of Manhattan Reefs who came to see it said, you know what, this is unacceptable. And they actually put out a call on Manhattan Reefs for uh, contributions from the community to buy me a new tank. And they actually, within less than a week, um, they rounded up enough funds to buy me a brand spanking new uh, tank. And that's what that tank is. And we did it as kind of a community build. I had about 10 or 15 people from the Manhattan Reefs community help me set up the tank, do the plumbing, um, do the aquascaping and the build. And I've sort of always viewed it, uh, while it is my tank, it is the campus's tank, I've always sort of viewed it as the community's tank at the same time. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful tank. All right, so now let's talk about your newest tank, the water box. Yeah, um, just maybe almost a year old. I guess. Um, I got a Waterbox 130, which I um, decided I wanted to set up kind of a, a tank dedicated to um, SPS, 
a cropper, basically. Um, so it's the um, it's a tank that's the first time I've ever set up a tank uh, without a sand bed. It's the first time I've ever used completely dried rock to set up a tank. And it's been a little bit of a challenge to get it up and going. So uh, what I like to say is the old reef that you just saw, the Pratt Reef, is a very old tank that's suffering from challenges of being a very old tank. And this water box is a very new tank that's suffering from the challenges of being a very new tank. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. um, I have never done a bare bottom tank, and I heard those certainly can be uh, a little bit more challenging in terms of building up that um, biological filtration. And um, yeah, it's tough because I've always used live sand just because it, it can, you know, help seed that uh, nitrifying bacteria and, and, and promote that yep. growth. And, you know, it's always been in terms of the, the, um, the old school reef keeping, you know, a lot of live rock, a lot of live sand. And over the years, it's kind of progressed in terms of um, a lot less rock and, and bare bottom. So that's, right. that's an avenue that yeah. people have been going. That's right. So my, my experience and my mindset is to the former, as you said, more live rock, live sand. Um, and this is, a, you got to reorient the way you think about things. And it's, it's definitely been a bit of a learning curve for me. This tank has struggled a little bit. Um, we've had some kind of flagellates, which I think you struggled with at one point as well, which is no fun at all. Lost some of the uh, early corals that I put in um, and various other kinds of just like things not settling down as quickly as I'm used to them settling down. Um, so, well, but I think we've uh, gotten over the hump now and things are, things are kind of stable at the moment. What are you using for extra uh, biological filtration, or are you using um, anything in particular in the sump? Any? Um... I put a few pieces or a few extra pieces of rock in the yep. sump. That's basically yep. it. All mm -hmm. right, let's talk about your softy tank now. This is a really cool tank. Oh, that's a cobalt. It's a forty gallon, I believe. Um, it's an all you know an all in one um, tank, and it's it's basically I wanted to. Um, try to showcase some different organisms and, and highlight some more um, easier to care for organisms. Um, I, I have enough difficult stuff, so I wanted to set up another tank that was aesthetically pleasing and easy. So it's basically dedicated to um, soft corals, simularia, sarcophyton, and mushroom anemones. Pretty much that's all that's in that tank, and it requires virtually no care whatsoever. I, I feed the fish. Yeah, no, period. it's it's a really neat tank, and, and it's a tank that, um, geez, I would love to try to um, keep one of those things. It just seems like it's a very low-maintenance tank, which is a good thing in reef keeping when you have multiple tanks. <laughs> Absolutely true. But I think probably the most fascinating tank to me is the anemone tank that you guys have there, and I'm showing some video of that thing with the uh, clownfish okay. harem, and that, that is just... Um, well, go ahead and Rain, explain exactly the history on that tank. Okay, that tank, um, that was probably the one of the oldest tanks in the office. I forget exactly what date that was set up, but that tank's been, uh, that, I should say the contents of that tank have been around for about 15 years or so. Um, the original anemone um, is uh, an anemone that was given to me by Greg Scheimer, a seminal New York area hobbyist, uh, author for many of the publications from back in the day, who unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. But anyway, he uh, disseminated those um, anemones throughout the New York tri-state area. Those of you who've ever been out to the Long Island Aquarium, Joe Ayulo's place out on Long Island, they have a large anemone tank, same exact anemones from the same exact source. So all the anemones that you see are actually clones of one original one that was given to me years and years and years and years ago. 
and has cloned itself a zillion times. I've given away four times as many as you currently see um, over the years. And again, that's a tank that is almost zero maintenance. Um, the clownfish you see are all uh, bred by Sanjay Joshi. Um, those are more recent additions. Um, and, but I basically do nothing to that tank. I run some carbon on it, barely, maybe once every four or five months, I'll do a water change, no supplementation. I just feed the fish, top off water. So, uh, Larson Smock, and I'm, I might be mispronouncing this, is, uh, is watching. He says, a new anemone tank with a clownfish harem is absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Marson. You've seen it in person many times. <laughs> so, Randy, now let's talk about the reality of your situation, which is you are located in the epicenter of the COVID-19 epidemic here, and yeah. you have tanks that are not in your house. So Correct. you need to go and visit Pratt Institute to take care of this tank. How are you managing that? Okay, it's actually been a major, major challenge. Um, most people I see online when they're talking about this uh, unfortunate situation where I and say, well, at least I get to play with my tank all day. Um, I'm exactly the opposite. I, um, in normal times, get to be with and fool around with my tanks all day because they're in my office. Um, and, but now the situation is reversed, and it's actually been quite a challenge. Pratt is closed, as all, pretty much all universities are. Um, I have been designated as essential, which means that I am allowed to go to campus and I am allowed to care for the tanks. I live a block away from campus, so that is not a problem. But safety is an issue. So um, I'm not the youngest guy in the world. My 90-year-old dad lives with us. So keeping um, our family safe is a priority. And in order to keep my family safe, it has to actually limit how much I go out and out and about. So I am... Well, I have access to my tanks, I'm trying to go in as uh, infrequently as possible, which causes, as you might imagine, lots of challenges and stress on the systems. Um, I have so many systems, they've been running in my office where I'm there five days a week, the block away so I can go in on weekends, that I never really set up much automation on them because there really wasn't a need. I'm not much of an equipment guy, I never really depended on a lot of equipment. Um, I've always had work-study students to pick up the slack when I go on vacation and whatnot. All of a sudden, none of that's available to me. So um, I had to quickly buy some automation equipment. I bought some uh, tons of osmolators for auto top-off on the larger systems, um, some auto feeders um, that I've set up. And um, I do get in there two or three days a week, and one of my staff members does come in another day. But we're limited in how much time we have, and we're limited what we can do. And probably the biggest challenge is top-off water. It's a lot of tanks. There's more tanks than the ones you talked about. Um, and uh, having enough water on hand and uh, continually available is one of the biggest challenges we have, actually. The idea of doing water changes is almost impossible right now, um, and the corals are starting to suffer for it. Frankly. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how's everything kind of holding up right now? Well, the the big reef, Pratt Reef, was kind of on a downward spiral of its own due to age and various other issues. Um, so that one um, has continued to spiral down. So what I've done actually is, um, from a coral point of view, I've decided to focus my attention on the water box. And I've moved uh, pretty much.
much all the acros that were healthy um, out of the bigger reef into the water box, um, focusing on um, trying to maintain maintain that one as best I can. In the big reef, the, uh, the gonopora, the leathers, the fabias, those kinds of things are still doing fine. They don't require as much um, babying and care, so we'll see how long we can keep those going. But quite honestly, I'm at the point where in the big reef, it's keeping the fish alive is the most important thing to me right now. It's, it's kind of easier to replace corals because I know people like you. Um, well, you know, so, I could certainly yeah. hook you up there, Randy, if you need some corals yeah. down the uh, down the line there. But I, like, so, you. hopefully you don't need to get uh, restocked yeah. uh, totally there. Yeah. So, you know, so in that big tank, it's keep what I can alive, keep the fish alive, which so far has been very possible. The water box, try to get the acros uh, cranking, which seems to be working at this point in time. The anemone tank's not a problem. That little uh, cobalt uh, softy tank is not a problem. Um, In the interim, I had just set up before this all hit a new freshwater planet tank. Oh, wow. Um, A 100-gallon freshwater planet tank, which is actually very beautiful right now. Um, And it also seems to be pretty easy to take care of. So that one I'm not too worried about. Um, and there's various other little aquariums around and a whole bunch of students who had a vacate campus in an emergency left me their betas. Oh, so I have a whole, whole cohort of betas to care for also. So, you know, I think keeping the fish populations going is not that problematic. The corals are a problem. Right. A- any advice for anybody else trying to keep things uh, alive remotely? I mean, any, uh, anything you could say at this point to, to folks? It's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, automate what you can. If you have limited time, if you have access and limited time, you got to be strategic about how you use your time. Um, having a good supply of water on hand is really important. Make sure you have salt so you can you can maybe sneak in a couple of water changes or you have it for an emergency if you need to. Automatic feeders are really, really uh, cheap and a good way to keep your system going. Um, I did just get my hands on a, a doser, so I will be dosing the water box uh, two-part, which should help keep those those corals going a little better. Usually, I just manually add two-part. I'm really old school yep. that way. That's kind of the way I've done it, but when I'm in my office every day, it's not a problem. Yep. Uh, now it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, and who, who could foresee this problem happening? Uh, no. Yeah. Well, maybe some people. Maybe. But that's, not right, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. So, Randy, let let me uh, let's jump back a little bit and yeah. take a broader view yeah. of the hobby here. What um, I mean, we we we've uh, you know you you talked about in terms of way back when Manhattan Reef started to, to have small frag swaps and and then you know yeah. the online thing started to develop. But you know, aside from the uh, online world, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the hobby? You know, over the years that you've been been in it, any any trends that stand out to you? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, if we're going to go way back, obviously, you know, the, the Internet changed everything um, in terms of uh, access to information, both good and bad. And uh, from a person who creates content for the hobby, written content, um, people don't want to read anymore. <laughs> and that's like a real problem. Um, anything, uh, it, it, you know, I, I try and hope to produce quality, in-depth content in written form, but that means pages of reading. And we found fewer and fewer people who are actually interested in doing the reading. 
Um, it's easier to get a simple answer to your question by asking it um, on face, you know, some group on Facebook or on some forum and getting an answer that you can maybe be confident in or maybe not. Um, so that has changed a lot. Um, the, yeah, I mean, and uh, if I could interject, I think that's also yeah. a, um, it could also be problematic, right? Because if you go to reef discussion yeah. boards to try to like find out answers for some particular problems, there is some bad information out there. I mean, you got to take certain advice with yep. a grain of salt, and and uh, sure. so that's that's certainly been a change. And I think you've got to be smart in terms of sifting through the right information. Yeah, it's really hard for you know beginners or you know sort of fairly uh, new to the hobby uh, folks to really sift through it. There's so much information out there, and so much of it is not really reliable or is anecdotal at best. Um, so if you can figure out, you know, kind of like uh, we always used to do, even when it was just like you're new and you joined a club, you kind of meet somebody who you think knows what they're talking about and you've seen their tank and it looks good and, they, you know, they, they talk intelligently and cogently and consistently about stuff. You kind of latch on to them. You can do the same thing online when you go to these boards. You can, if you read with a discerning eye and ear, you can kind of figure out who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. And there's always... There's always going to be disagreements about things. That's kind of always the way it is. There's many different ways to be successful, and there's many different ways to fail in this hobby. Um, but I think finding mentors. You're talking about mentors. Yeah, yeah, mentors. Mentors. I remember yeah. when I when I first got into the hobby, I I frequented a couple of um, shops, local fish stores in uh, Connecticut, mm -hmm. and there was one guy. Do you remember Chris Jensen? Jensen. Sure. Yep. Jensen. Sure. Yeah, he, yeah. he had this beautiful SPS reef tank. It was an in-wall. It might have been a 120-gallon tank. Mm. And uh, I just yeah. kind of like latched on to him. And, yep. and, yeah, and, he knew his stuff. And he, yeah. uh, he knew his stuff. And I think this was really before all the discussion boards became popular and before Reef Central was right. the, uh, all, the, all the rage. I remember being in there one day and a couple other hobbyists said to me, like, uh, are you on Reef Central? I was like, what's that? <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, so um, I think I think finding a mentor in the hobby is certainly um, a very important thing, and and I think you know local fish stores are are very important in that process, and and I think frag swaps you meet a lot of people and, and you can talk to a lot yeah. of um, you know folks at the swaps, vendors, and people that propagate corals. So it's there there is a lot of information out there, and, and reading has become a lost art. But, um, you know, it is, it is important still to stay connected, um, you know, with, with those um, types of publications, whether it's your publication or it's some of the, uh, the older, uh, you know, books out there. That's, uh, I still have several um, books in my library from, from Julian Sprung, and those are... You can't, like, can't beat a good book. You can't yeah. beat a good book. It doesn't mean there's not old, outdated, or not great information in some books, too, but... It's vetted a lot more carefully than what you'll find online. So on, on an equipment basis, what, what do you think yeah. are some of the biggest innovations recently on the equipment front? If you had to kind of point your finger at something that's um, made life easier. Well, for there, you know, obviously, LED light has changed the game for a lot of people. Um, again, controversy. Is it as good as metal halide or T5s or whatnot? We can have those debates always we've always had those debates before leds what's the best light what's the best spectrum etc 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 but the reality is leds have kind of dominated the market and it's pretty much proven at this time that any number of uh, high quality leds can grow car 
works just fine. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, I haven't uh, I haven't made yeah. the, the jump yet. I'm still using metal yeah. halide lighting, but uh, you're still using halides. I, I am. Yeah. yeah, the the tank that I'm showing the uh, the loop on right now, my 187 gallon tank is uh, uh -huh. is metal halides, but I'm I'm definitely open to trying uh, LEDs. Right. Just, well, I mean, you know, there's no doubt the metal halides work. Yeah. I mean, they're fantastic, but you know, I, I personally I hated changing bulbs all the time and having them in stock and i really really um enjoy not having to use a chiller in the summer those, yeah to me that that's the biggest thing. those are those are good uh, reasons so yeah. we um we so have a question i think that, go ahead Brandy. You know, no no you know, question's fine i was just gonna fill in with some from uh, mayor reef what is the key to fast coral growth what type of light and everything else, et cetera? So I think you already answered part of that question with the LEDs, but what would you say are other yeah. keys to fast growth with SPS and other corals? Stable, stable parameters, regular routine, um, alkalinity is probably the most important parameter to, to um, keep your eyes on. I think you could, you know, most people when you test alkalinity, they also test calcium. I think you could really go for a pretty long time without testing your calcium and you'll be okay as long as your alkalinity is in line. Um, but, uh, yeah, stability, having a routine, this is, you know, and people have different routines, but they stick to a routine and whatever's working, stick to the routine. And I think that's probably the, the most important thing. I, I'm not a big guy on magic potions and I don't dose a whole lot of stuff to my tanks generally. Uh, I've experimented with some stuff and generally whenever I start experimenting with that kind of stuff, things go wrong. So yeah, no, I always it's just think, my experience. I know other people have plenty of positive things to say about yep. that. Yeah, I always always <laughs> say to uh, folks that the simpler the system, the better. I think it's just a lot, lot less moving parts, a lot less variables in play, and and uh, I like yep. to keep things with my reef tanks as easy as possible. I think it's also it makes it easier in terms of maintenance. Yeah, I agree, and 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 this is kind of a very old school thing to say, but I think it has some credence. Is and this is a, a difference in a hobby now. The equipment and the products and the sort of understanding of the science behind our reefs has gotten a lot better. Um, but people now tend to rely on sort of formulas for success as opposed to really developing a sort of an intimate sort of relationship with their reef, like really looking and really sort of being in tune with what their animals are telling them. And that's kind of an old school way of kind of feeling your way through it. But I think there's a lot of merit and a lot of actual pleasure, actually, in, in, in being that in touch with, 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 with your tank. Um, you, if you've had a system for a while, you can kind of tell you know, there are different animals that react differently to different things. And you, if you're aware of them, you can tell when something's going a little off. And you can take action just by looking carefully and, and being, being aware. I, I, I totally, I do. totally agree with that fewer philosophy. People. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me. Uh, Chasing numbers is bad. I think. I think there are no magic numbers. So what, what are your, There's what are your opinions of like the Trident and the soon to be released uh, Ion Director from GHL in terms of uh, automated um, alkalinity, calcium, magnesium, um, you know, and monitoring and. I mean, I, I've never used them, so I can't speak from a user point of view I think they're very exciting developments and I think they're you know they're, they're, they're wonderful additions to the sort of toolbox of, of um, what can be achieved I kind of wish I had them now in my <laughs> current situation they'd come in handy in my circumstance at the moment um, 
But um, yeah, again, I think those are very useful tools, but they're tools. They're not the whole game. I mean, you, you need to, like any other tool, you need to know how to use the tool properly. And that one tool is part of a much larger toolkit. And um, so again, those kinds of tools, I think, are super valuable, but they also tend to get people to chase numbers, which I think is kind of not necessarily a good thing all the time. Yep. All right, so I got a series of some rapid fire questions for you. You're okay. Ready? Yep. Favorite fish of all time? Wow, that is tough. Um, you had to pick one fish. If I had to pick one, probably a Hawaiian flame wrasse. Nice. Yeah, okay. Favorite SBS coral? Pearlberry, old school. Love it. That's one of my favorites, too. Favorite LPS coral? Don't have an answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> I like them. I just don't yeah, have Yeah, you don't uh, have a favorite. Yeah. What, um, what would be the most important piece of equipment to have a backup of? Hmm. The toss-up between lights and a return pump. Gotcha. All right. And final um, question here. A dream tank. How big and what type? Or do you already have your dream tank? I kind of have my dream tank. I mean, you know, my my 240 is pretty close to perfect. I wish it was a little deeper front to back. So eight feet long is good for me. Ten, I could probably learn to love ten feet long too. Um, but I think two feet front to back is a little little too narrow. Um, the current sighting of my tank wouldn't allow for anything any deeper because there's a way that people need to walk past it. But um, if I could get that out to 30 or 36, that would sort of be perfect for me. So 10 by 36 and maybe two feet nice. deep would be pretty Yeah, I tell you, me. width is really important. I, um, I have, um, so my 225-gallon my, uh, tank, which was six foot long and two foot um, tall, was 30 inches wide. And uh, I love that uh, width. And then uh, my, my current 187-gallon tank is um, five foot by 30 by 24. So again, I really find that the extra um, width on a tank um, opens up a lot in terms of aquascaping, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I'll go the reverse too. I really enjoy some really small nano tanks. I think yeah. they're really, really interesting. Yep. You, you kind of look at them in a very different way. You kind of notice the small things much, much more, obviously. But, um, yep, I hear you. So, uh, yeah. Randy, I, I, don't, I don't know if we have any yeah. other questions. Any, any final thoughts? I would really, really appreciate you uh, doing the show here during these uh, very trying times. Um, thank you. My pleasure to be here. Um, I don't know. I think it's great that you're doing these. I think, um, you know, some old salts like us need to start doing these kinds of videos and uh, sort of, uh, you know, giving people a glimpse to uh, how the hobby progressed. I think there's a lot, a lot of people that don't really know the history of the hobby all that well. Yep. And it actually has changed quite a bit. We could talk about that some more either now or some other point, but uh, it, it, there's been a lot of changes. Um, both good and bad. For sure. No, I tell you, it, it um, this hobby really keeps you on your toes. It's like when you think you finally got something down, it's you get another curveball thrown at you, and uh, it's humbling at times. It really is. Right. Right. What does Joe Ayula always say? It's like a grand chess match that you're 
destined to lose eventually. <laughs> That's a great, great quote. All right, well, listen, Randy, thank you so much for, uh, for being a guest and, um, be safe out there and I'll keep my fingers crossed for the tanks and, and you let me know if you ever need anything, uh, to help replenish those tanks. Okay. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Stay safe out there, everybody. All righty. Hey folks, thanks a lot for, uh, for tuning in. I'm, I'm, uh, definitely looking forward to having more of these shows and more guests. So stay tuned in the future for future wrapping with the reef bum live broadcast. Have a good night. Adios.